What's going on, podcast? We've got some older footage bringing itself to light today. We have Doug Mothershell of Twisted Willow Fabrications. It's when we went up to New York, learned all about metal, learned all about Siberian Huskies, and you get to learn all about it too. So check it out. we got about an hour show. Uh, some of it's a little bit chopped up from a couple different segments, but that's because we got like four hours of great footage, and I try to condense it into one. So let me know what you think after you listen. So I do stuff for them, um, other welders, guys that just weld. They order stuff from me, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'll, I don't keep anything a secret. I'll help anybody um, trade, <laughs> you know, whatever, right. whatever works. It don't matter where you are in your life. You don't have to do it by yourself. It don't matter what you need. Colin can help. Excellent. So, uh, your name is Doug Mothershell. We are at Twisted Willow Fabrications. Um, where are we? And uh, give us the all the way. I know this used to be a basketball court. So, tell us about kind of about the story of how you guys. I'm guessing the kids kind of grew up. There's nobody playing basketball, and you're like, Dad needs a, a, a to- toolbox now, a toy box. <laughs> that was exactly it. Uh, the uh, while you're in Geneseo. Is, is, it's the easiest place to find on the map, Geneseo. You're actually in Groveland, and I got to tell you, you're actually in Groveland because Groveland was very welcoming to us. This is not zoned industrial here. This is zoned uh, agriculture and residential. So we did not originally start looking at putting this here. We started looking at buying places. Uh, we originally started looking at renting places. And we decided not to because it's so up in the air. All this equipment, a lot of heavy stuff. You rent a place for a couple of years and they come and tell you you got to move out because it's sold or they're doing something else with it. Or they raise the rent on you. Yeah, and, and you know, we're, we're just not, we're not making that much. So um, we started looking at buying a place and uh, we found a couple of places, but they were kind of run down. Um, the better places, the cost goes up. So um, I was talking to the town supervisor and the town supervisor said, why don't you build it on your property? You got loads of acreage there. Why don't you just build it there? And I said, it's not zoned for that. He said, let's uh, have a meeting, a town meeting. And after about three town meetings, they gave us an approval to build here and to run our business here. So uh, Groveland was very, very welcoming. Geneseo, not so much. They really didn't want us, but uh, they want uh, they want different businesses in Geneseo. When people think of fabrication shops, they think of dirty places, messy, ugly. Uh, that's not me. It's not what I wanted. Right. And um, it's hard to convince uh, the town people, the people around the town of that. So um, Groveland was very welcoming. So that's how we are here. Uh, our home is here, right behind us. Uh, we built our own house. We built everything here. This was, this was just acreage with a lot of scrub on it. Uh, and uh, when I was 
22, I started building the log cabin. So um, it's just gone from there. Raised two boys here. Uh, the shop is on their old playground. Uh, it's like I tell my boys, it's now my playground. And um, that's where it comes from. That's awesome. And on the grounds, I mean, you started at 22, so have you been just building and just creating your entire life there? Yeah. Yeah, basically. Before that, I started working on uh, vehicles at a auto body shop. Uh, it started being a mechanic because uh, I had to. I was driving old vehicles and I had to learn how to fix them. So while I was learning how to fix them, it was a good way to have a summer job. And that summer job turned out being all year long. When I could, uh, I went to college down at uh, Alfred State for heavy equipment mechanics. Graduated there, went to work for Mack Trucks as a mechanic. And uh, from there, I went to a water utility where I still am. I'll be finishing that out this year. And uh, as a mechanic, a fabricator, um, doing a little bit of everything there. And in that time, how has uh, like just the technology, how has that changed your, your process? Oh, the technology has changed incredibly. It's, it's probably very much like you. Um, uh, years ago, when there wasn't an internet, uh, social media, or it wasn't as big as it was now. Um, you couldn't do what you're doing right now uh, the way that you're doing it now. Um, and years ago, when there, when there weren't plasma tables, um, automated equipment, uh, I couldn't do it then. Um, I was actually, uh, back when Clinton was president, I was going to leave my job and do fabrication and I'm glad I didn't then because this stuff wasn't available. The, the technology that I'm using right now is not available. And it's, it takes a lot longer to do stuff without it. Right. Uh, so which means you're not making it. You're trying to compete at that time with the big boys that did have the technology on a very big level. And you can't compete with that technology. So Even kind, of, kind of just like how, in my angle, how the, I think yesterday we bought a flash drive that was 16 gigs for two dollars, where one gig used to be twenty dollars ten years ago. Is the same? Is it the same with this big machinery equipment? Is that just becoming more and more affordable? Yes. As, yep. As uh, as technology advances and this stuff gets out there more and more, you have more and more companies building uh, CNC equipment, especially our look, our big ones, the plasma table. Um, it's much more affordable, um, a lot more people doing it, more choices, the software out there, there's loads of choices for that. Um, so yeah, it's uh, now is definitely the time for me, unfortunately, uh, if, this, if I was uh, in my 30s, I probably would have uh, jumped uh, if it was now, but uh, it's not, it is now. <laughs> and uh, I'm 54, uh, started the business three years ago, and the table has been actually been around for like seven years, because uh, I was doing it on a very small level before Twisted Willow.
Was that, did you just pick that up because it just benefited all the things that you were doing around here or just one of those you just needed that toy? No, actually it was uh, the deciding factor as to whether or not I wanted to go into business. So that was my, my first big leap because they're not cheap. Um, but uh, that was my barometer. Do I really want to do this before I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars? Uh, I'll spend 20 uh, and, and see if I really want to do this. And if I don't, you can still make money on the side with it. So it was, it was a big test, but it wasn't as big as just taking that big leap. So that that is what that was my first move to see if I wanted to do this. Gotcha. And within that, like I know that this is becoming more accessible for you, but also from like the novice on my side, I, I walk to a computer store and I see like a 3D printer for you know 350, 400 bucks. You know, eventually metal is going to become I think that next 3D printing instead of plastic. Do you think that that's going to be an impact on you in the next five, ten, who knows how many years? I'm certain 3D printing. Talking yeah, 3D, 3D printing 3D, specifically. 3D printing in general. Yeah. 3D printing, and they are they are doing uh, metal 3D printing now. Um, I'm certain that that's going to be an impact. Gotcha. Uh, there's already use for it now. I just don't want to get into it right now. Absolutely. Uh, we're looking at buying another plasma table. So and running two plasma tables, doing a lot of cutting for other businesses, uh, small businesses. Uh, they don't. A lot of small businesses don't want to get into. Uh, CNC, plasma cutting, laser, water jet, whatever. Uh, they don't want to get into it. Um, so uh, we're looking at running two tables, and, and which we're doing right now, but not two tables worth. So uh, I've talked to a couple of people that do a little larger manufacturing. They do all their own welding and everything, but uh, they're doing hand cutting right now which takes them a tremendous amount of time. Uh, you can carve just loads of time right off the top of all that uh, to where I could make money and they actually save money having me do it. Nice. So that's, that's what we're looking at towards the end of this year. And when you say small business, what, what is the ideal business size that you're looking to work with or that, that your size could handle? I, I can handle, depending on what it is, uh, large business. Uh, we do business for the county, which is a large business. Right. Um, most of our business is small business. Um, and I, I have to be careful because two of our small businesses are international. <laughs> so while they're, they're small specialized equipment, um, very expensive equipment, I do all their metal work. All stainless steel. Um, there's their stuff, which the metal part is our builds uh, to their specifications, mm -hmm. blueprints and everything. Uh, there's stuff in France, um, uh, Canada, the Caribbean, all across America um, that uh, is their stuff, but the metal has come out of the shop. That's awesome. So, um, it's small business working in a really big way. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because it's a, I mean, like you said, everybody here is small business and you think, you know, a mom and pop coffee shop or right. something like that. But no. I mean, a small business could still do millions or billions of dollars exactly. just having a small personnel or, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't mean by small, by, by quantity. It's just, you know, not many people doing big things. Yep. Um, and 
of all of those things, the county, the small people, um, is one more difficult to work with, or is one just, are you, do you gravitate any specific way? Uh, I don't gravitate any specific way. Um, we're, we're open to everybody, uh, and that is the, the very basics of our business model, is that we're open to everybody, including the guy right off the street. Mm -hmm. So, the people right off the street uh, don't necessarily understand the industry. They don't understand what's going on in the industry. Like right now, metal's really high because of the tariffs. So, uh, super, super high prices on metal. And they don't understand the costs. Um, but they're also, because they don't understand that stuff, um, they haven't had businesses educate them. And that's, that's a big deal for, for uh, in my opinion. For a business to do, you have to educate your customers, even the ones that um, are used to dealing with fabrication companies. You have to educate them because there there's different ways to do things, and you can save them money. And you know what other people are doing. You know what their competition is doing, and so you you can make suggestions to them. But the regular. Joe, the regular individuals, probably the toughest to work with because they don't understand the costs. Mm -hmm. So you, you throw a number at them and you're being really nice to them. And it's just, wow, that's right. that's a lot of money. I mean, I think it's the same in like the graphic design field. You know, like I design a flyer for somebody and you know, if you have a template that you can work off of, it might go boom, boom, boom. But yeah. they, if they give me the right graphics, I can put it together quickly. But if you give me just an idea, it takes me a while to think it and draw it and make everything work and make sure everything's functional and yep. then you give them the bill and like you said they're like why is it so much money and yeah. you know they're thinking it should be twenty dollars for their t-shirt but you're like well it's a one-of-a-kind design and it's a time thing. and you yep. know did you want a shirt that was going to bleed and all your stuff was going to come out right away or did you want one that was actually going to last till the next family reunion you right. know so yep. like you said by educating them both on the, the process and on the materials because, um, like you said, I, I know personally that metal is more expensive because from the landscape side, I know, you know if you go find the copper, right copper and you take it down, you get a whole bunch of money now where you used to get a little bit of money. Yeah. And same with aluminum. I think aluminum's pretty high lately too. Yes. So it's one of those, and you hear about tariffs, but not everybody puts those two stories together. And, no, they don't. You know, because you're thinking metal, well, the guy made it in, you know, Geneseo. Why, why am I worried about a Chinese tariff not realizing all the steel is coming through? things like that well yeah it, it's it creates a whole lot of issues that specific issue creates a whole lot of issues it's it's a supply and demand issue it's a speculation issue it's a greed issue on, mm -hmm. on big companies um, big metal manufacturers or suppliers um, there's a there's a lot going on uh, with the with the steel tariffs that bleeds right on down to fabricators, people who use steel, and it affects everybody right. uh, in America. So outside of America, not, not so much, the United States, uh, not so much. I think their, their prices are actually lower right now. Uh, but um, we're, we right now have a very isolated market. Mm -hmm. And uh, anybody that does business inside the United States is, is paying a lot more than they were a year, year and a half ago gotcha. for, for metals, for all those reasons. And for you specifically, uh, when you're getting metal, I mean, how, how does a small fabrication shop, how do you buy metal? 
I mean, do you just go, I need five tons of this, or like, I, how does that process work? I buy it by, um, you, you'll see behind you there's a metal rack, um, there's a lot of tubing, and shapes, and flats, and, and stuff like that on that metal rack. I buy those by the length, and I tell them how many of those that I need, and I buy by the sheet okay. for the flat stuff. Um, how many I need of what. So, you kind of try to stock up on that, or is it kind of order specific of you, just so you, that you don't have a lot tied up? With? I have all, no, I got a lot of money tied up right. in, into metals. Uh, there's uh, not a lot of stainless over there. Uh, my, my, uh, the businesses that I do all the stainless for, uh, they buy their own stainless. Gotcha. And they bring it over to me. That's how they're saving money, and um, that's an agreement that we have. Um, so they control their costs with this, with these tariffs, a lot better by buying it directly, and then they bring it to me. That makes sense. Um, but everything else is what I use for. Normally, what I do in the tools that I have. There's a lot of tubing. There's round and square over there. Um, like I said, a lot of flat stock, um, and it's and a, and a lot of sheet, uh, different thicknesses in sheet, um, and there's really thousands of dollars around here. Not just here, but there's there's more in the barn, right? Down back, uh, and that's so that I can jump on stuff Gotcha. Oh, that way whenever the order comes in, you're like, oh, I've got this, this, and this, let's put it together. Right. I get a lot of work from farmers, and farmers are top of the hat. Uh, they, they need something, they call you, and they want it that day. So... They're the landscapers of the country, I feel. Yeah, <laughs> they, they really are. <laughs> um, so there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of stuff in stock here. It's, it's just what you have to do. Now like a farmer, are, are they trying to get like a custom part for the plow or what, what type of work are you doing for the local farmers? Uh, the, they have wear parts, they, they make their own, they come up with their own ideas um, and they'll either have you come over and look. What I'm seeing more and more of with the farmers, it's really interesting. They've gone, if everybody doesn't know, they should know. Farmers have gone very high tech. Mm -hmm. Um, they're they're being educated now at college for farming, uh, how to feed uh, their cattle the best, get the most out of them. Uh, I am now getting starting to get blueprints from farmers on, on what they want. No kidding, it's really impressive. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so the, the, today's farmer in in the big farm, uh, they're really educated. Yeah, I mean. You think farmer, you think the rural guy, you know, just spitting in a bucket, got the straw in his mouth. But, right. I mean, it's really, they're chemists, they're more exactly. so than everything else. It's all, nobody wants the GMO food, but everything's genetically altered in some way. In to, some way it to, is. To, 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 make, to make it actually taste good. Like, you yeah. know, like a banana would taste horrible from the wild where it's got all the seeds. You take all the seeds out, you're like, this is the best fruit to put in a smoothie I've ever had. Right. So, yeah, like you said, I, I, you drive through, and that's another nice thing about coming up to New York and seeing the different things. Like we're from Ohio, so we see farms. But we're, a lot of we're, we're from Cleveland, though, so like it's it's city enough that you're like you have to drive a little bit to see a farm, and it's not the farms on the scale until you really get to Southern Ohio, where you come up to New York or Pennsylvania, and like you said, it's a half a million dollar shooter just to pick corn and throw it through a thing, and you know right. it's exactly. it's the most high tech stuff you're seeing, and it goes in a barn that has no roof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they're. 
they're fixing those things in a lot of cases. Uh, they're doing their own building. Farm right around the corner here, they do all their own building too. Uh, they do a lot of their uh, equipment repairs. They come over to me to uh, get stuff done. Uh, I've had farmers call me at night. Um, I'm, I'm about ready to go to bed and they call me at and night and they say I've got a piece of equipment, it's broken down in the field, I got a bearing frozen up on a shaft, it's, it's chewed up the shaft, this piece of equipment is holding up everything else and they're trying to get corn or wheat or whatever in before the rainstorm comes. So can you help me? Yeah, bring it over and uh, we get them going. Uh, and sometimes something like that requires, we're not machinists here, but we do a lot of lathe work, uh, mill work, uh, so we can make that happen. It you know, sounds like too, your, your, like your Mac truck background kind of might come in handy there or something, but is, is mechanically wrong with it opposed to just like also the metal, I mean it's those types of things to me, like something breaks off, the metal shoots out, but then you need couple other things replaced too. So are you able yeah. to then kind of use that expertise in there? Absolutely. I know exactly what they're talking about. Right. So when they when they tell me what is wrong and what they're trying to do, my background, the, the mechanical background, um, and the fabrication background came right along with that. Uh, Mack trucks, I used to uh, lengthen and shorten trucks. Used trucks would come in. And if, if it was a tractor that's used to pulling, trailer and they wanted a big flatbed on it, we would put a whole frame on the, on the back end of it, uh, sleepers, all that other stuff. So there's a lot of fabrication when I first started out, um, and, uh, but getting back to the farmers, I know exactly, I know exactly what they need, what they're telling me, they don't even need to deliver blueprints, a lot of them are, but um, yeah. That's awesome. And then, I mean, with working with farmers, I think we've passed, what, a thousand farms up here? Yeah, oh, they're all over. Yeah, they're, this they're, is farmland. Absolutely. And yeah. what are we growing around here? Is, is there anything particular, like, the, is it, I saw some grapes, but everything else is dead this time here. So in, in the season, what's corn or what do you guys got? You're, you're in almost in wine country. Wine country is the middle of the state. Um, and we have wineries around here. Uh, you got to go a little bit more south maybe south central to run into the big wine areas mm -hmm. and they control those whole areas the whole finger lakes is, is all wine land um, up here we're growing a lot of corn mm -hmm. uh, we're growing a lot of soybeans um, actually doing beets uh, potatoes um, wheat uh, a little bit of everything yeah are you guys growing anything on the property here? I know you got your hand in just about everything. You guys have a little farm back there we haven't seen yet? We too? do not have a farm here. No. Not yet. What are you doing? What are you guys waiting for? You know there's 24 hours in a day. We let the neighbors do that. <laughs> They're saying, I fixed your plow. How about some tomatoes? <laughs> there's no trades like that, believe it or not. No? You're, you're not trading a sheet of metal for you know a bushel of corn or however that works out? No, we're not doing that. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned the sled dogs. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that. You gave us a quick thing before, but I keep seeing them run, running in my corner of my eyeballs. So yeah. you not only have a job, but you have a fabrication shop, and then you also have time to manage an entire sled dog team. How, how do you do all that? How did all that start? We don't sleep much. 
much. <laughs> um, it, it, it all, I was telling you earlier, it, it started when uh, I was just a little kid and uh, I saw some stuff on TV that interested me in sled dogs. And um, I've always been a dog lover. Uh, and I've worked with dogs since I was a little kid, uh, mostly with hunting. But uh, the, the sled dog thing just kind of happened. We were, we were at a restaurant. My wife and I were at a restaurant uh, one night and the waitress was telling the next table that she just had puppies and my wife is a puppy freak. So she said, what kind of puppies did you have? And uh, it was a Siberian chow mix. It was an accidental breeding. And um, she knew us because we frequented the joint. She was always our, our waitress. So she said, I'm looking for a good home for couple of them. and she said would you be interested because she knew us and I guess she was being really fussy about the in which you should be uh, about the home that the pups went to so she gave us one of those pups and that dog just recently died um, a month or so ago of old age lived a, a great long life very healthy um, so we got that puppy. Another friend of ours um, who passed away quite some time ago, um, like a mother to both Mandy and me, she would come over and she loved our dogs because uh, we've, we've always had more than one. Um, and she came over and she knew that uh, from a very early age that I was interested in sled dogs. Uh, she came over to meet the puppy and she said, now you have the beginning to your sled dog team. And I said, yeah, that's not going to happen. That's, that's really expensive. It's, there's a lot going on there. That's, that's just not going to happen. Um, so the uh, breed specific characteristics of the dog, it wanted to run. It was very active. Uh, she brought me over an article and a skijoring article. I don't know if you've ever heard of skijoring, but it's it's where you wear cross-country skis and the dog pulls you. So there's actually competitions with skijoring. Uh, so I started doing that and she taught me a lot because she just couldn't pick up directions. Now I was used to teaching dogs directions and whatnot from hunting. Uh, and she just couldn't pick up those directions, but she was smart enough when I would give her a command. She would pull straight, perfectly fine. Uh, when I would give her a command to turn, she would turn around and look at me. So I would point, and she would turn that way. And that's what I used to do with my hunting dogs. If they, I'd send them way down the line, and I'd wait for them, and they would go down, and they would stop, and they'd turn, and they'd look at me and wait for a command, and I would point in, and they would meet up with me. Um, down the line. So she, she picked up hand signals mm -hmm. and um, we started doing that and then I wanted to go farther. So we picked up a rescue and uh, started running two of them. And then I was gone all the time because <laughs> I loved it. And um, wanted to get my wife into skijuring. So we went to 
look at a litter. We looked really hard. I didn't want any poorly bred dogs. So we went to look at a litter and we found, uh, finally found a litter that we were interested in and nobody apparently wanted the males in this litter. So they asked me if I wanted two and they gave me a smoking deal on two of them. So we brought home two puppies, now we got four, okay? So, so we've got, now these puppies we just got, you're not gonna be running them for a year or so, okay? So we've got those, um, started working with them young. Uh, they picked up their directions right away. One of them right now is our Alpha out there. Um, and he's 12 years old now. Um, so Mandy wasn't comfortable. My wife, Mandy, wasn't comfortable skidgering. She just didn't like that idea. So I said, okay, we'll run a sled. This is how it happens in sled dogs, by the way. This is, this is how you get caught up in it. It's, it's addictive. Uh, we'll run a sled. So I built a sled and um, four dogs wouldn't pull two humans and a sled. Because Siberians, they look big, but they're not. They're a very mid-sized dog. Yeah, there's a lot of fluff there. They're 45, 50 pounds, males. They're not that big. Um, so I was still gone all the time with four dogs, and poor Mandy is home. So we went and we got another one, another male, because five dogs should pull two people on a sled. Maybe not I did rod or anything, but uh, they should do that. So we got another dog, there's another year before you have one running and that, that worked. We, we were running together. Um, by that time I had met um, a, a breeder and yeah, a very well-known breeder and uh, told him what I wanted to do which was take control of my own destiny and breed. So. He offered his help, he offered to mentor us, so we got involved with him and that's where it exploded. <laughs> so we now have 17, um, a few of them are retired, uh, they don't run anymore, but uh, we can run two full teams for us, which is a team of five or six dogs apiece. Um, and, awesome. and we have, we've run two sleds side by side, awesome. or one following the other, and have had some pretty good times. We have taken this past winter off because of the business. There's more and more development going on. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I go away to run, plus I'm on call 24 seven with the company that I'm currently with, uh, if I go away to run, um, the other dogs don't get attention. And that's not what I want. You know, I don't, I don't want dogs out in a run, uh, lonely and doing nothing. That's just not good. Uh, and it's not fair to them. So um, we've taken uh, this winter off. Uh, when I'm done in here, I go in and all the dogs will come in the house. Uh, in the winter time, believe it or not, they actually sleep in the house. They're, they're Arctic dogs, but they all sleep in the house. Yeah, and and <laughs> you, say, you say where, wherever. Um, they're all house trained. Uh, and the only thing is with the Siberian Husky, which we're breeding now, um, purebreds, 
uh, they shed like crazy all year long. So we vacuum twice a day. I understand. You know? <laughs> so. yeah, my ex-girlfriend has Siberian Husky that lived a horrible life. It was we, we went up to get it from like Detroit or some area and it lived like six years in a cage. Like purebred dog, like beautiful dog. Yeah. But same thing, like uh, she had a shirt that this is my dog for a shirt and it was just all white with like some tiny bits, bits of black. And, you know, like that's so true. Like our dog, I thought the black dog that we had was horrible in here. That white hair on the Siberians or any white dog, that it just goes everywhere. Yep. We'll go to the laundromat, pull clothes out of the out of the washer. They're like cat or dog. What do you got? <laughs> yep. Yeah, you can probably you can see some on me. The black sweatshirt there's covered with it, and I can see in the white there's, there's hair all over me. Absolutely. And you haven't even seen the dogs all day. You know, you can go through yep. the vacuum and it's still on you. Yep. Anybody that knows me looks at me every time I show up, it doesn't matter if I'm like this or dressed up, I've got dog hair on me. Right. And, and they say, got a hug from the dogs, huh? All you gotta do is walk through the house. You don't and even the have house to walk through the house, right, yeah. <laughs> so. you know, well, she, She's a server and it's one of those, she'll put up, she has to wait to like the last possible minute to put clothes on because yep. even if you walk past the dog, you're like, oh, you're covered in white. Yep. My, <laughs> my wife does that, she's an interpreter for the deaf, she wears black a lot and um, she doesn't, she doesn't dress until right before she leaves. <laughs> right before she leaves. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> the brother of our alpha, our alpha is right here. Is it this guy right here? With the white eyes? Oh, beautiful eyes. I know the volume decibels on my uh, microphone work great. <laughs> This guy's the clown. This is Quinn. He's the boss. Yarek is Quinn's brother. Oh, He's... they got the same eye? You can't train your dogs in some really cool areas. There's old railroad beds, cool, yeah. uh, rail and trail. The whole country has rail and trail trails. Yeah. Uh, you can't train your dogs there with an ATV. No motorized vehicles allowed. Uh, they will allow a dog cart. And, Wherever they will allow your dog team, right. they will allow the dog cart. So that's meant to take the place of the ATV. Um, it's lighter. It's about a third of the price, uh, at least. And um, they work really well. The cool thing about this design, there's two cool things. Um, this design has, uh, I don't know if I invented it or not, but it's got dog steer. It's got, a okay. it's got a steering wheel, but you don't have to use it. The dogs will actually steer that But car. you could steer it if you needed to. You can overcome dog steering. That's cool. You see the linkage up front? Yeah. So it's not on there yet. There's a loop that goes right here, but your, your line for the dogs, your gang line, is, is going to be tied to a loop right here. There's a shock absorber, so the okay. dogs don't get shocked right. if, if something happens. Right, right, There's, right. It'll stretch and come back. But as the dogs run around the trail, this this steers ah. this steers the wheels. You can just you can lean back. Now I proved this because I built a cart without a steering wheel, just to prove it. And I ran that for two seasons. So the dogs were the it's like a sled. You don't have a yeah. steering wheel on a sled, uh, a snow sled. So you stand in the back by the one wheel. Right. Okay. And the whole theory on this, with this is my equipment background, right. is there's, there's a, a triangle of stability theory with equipment. 
and loaders, articulating equipment like loaders, mm -hmm. uh, uh, forklifts and right. whatnot. There's there's a triangle of stability, and they try and get you inside that triangle, and you will see that we are you inside. Have triangle. Yeah. We are right inside that triangle. So um, this thing should be really, really stable. Um, uh, in a lot of dog carts, it's just the opposite way. You got two wheels in the back. Right, that's what I'm saying. You stand on the back and steering for one wheel. Okay. If you remember the old ATV days with the three-wheelers, yeah. they were very dangerous. They tipped over all. Right, right, right. So when you, when you on a, on a trike, yeah. when you turn the wheel, they become unstable in this direction. Okay. If you turn it this way, they become unstable in this direction. Yeah. So there's still a lot of three-wheelers being trikes being built for dog carts, but when they go around corners, you see people lean way over because the cart wants to roll that way. You don't get that. With you, that. Get, you got your front your stabilizers, yeah. basically, out front there. And this is just trailing. That's, that's pretty nifty. So, um, and it's, it's fully suspended. Yeah. And you can adjust the suspension on it for your weight. That's nice too. The, other cool thing, so it's got dog steer, but you can overcome it mm -hmm. through linkage and leverage and everything. It's easy to overcome, and I like that, so um, I, I kept building dog steer cards. The other thing is something this size, it's like a four-wheeler, even though it's much lighter, is how do you get it around? Right. It's long, you know, and a lot of people with sled dogs have pickup trucks, but the dogs go in the pickup truck. <laughs> so, do you take a trailer? Do you do whatever? So, this folds in half, and it goes on, and I'll show you that in just a second. It will go on, you've seen the carriers on the back of trucks yes, that yes. go in the hitches? Yes. This is what, we're going to make one for this, and it's gonna go on the back, because, if you need to transport it, or you need to store it, and you don't want it taking up this much space. Right, this is as big as like a motorcycle. Yeah. Like said, yeah. So it's in your a garage. We don't all have <laughs> 3,000 square feet. Right. So. You got two in there, it. Yep, they lock that. It's got its own feet, and it folds up. That's neat. That is. That's and also talking about storage, like if you wanted to put like a board or something on the front, and right. just keep it in the corner of the garage. Or yep. And then this, a number of things can go up here. Um, what I, you can put a bag. Yeah. There, there is going to be a like a cover. Or yeah. There, there's probably expanded metal aluminum because it's really light. But uh, what I put on mine is a cooler. Okay. And it's not for food. Coolers are waterproof. You can store all your gear oh, yeah. right in there and they're really easy to strap down. But you could put a bag here, you can put an injured dog here. That's, that's what's really important. Yeah. Is that if, if you have a dog twist a an ankle. ankle or something, cut a pad, you can put them here. And I've had to do that before. Um, there's going to be a seat back here so that you can actually sit down that's... on this thing. So I can't wait to see it when it's all done. Like, yeah, it's going to come apart. Um, a lot of it is just tacked right now. And I was going to do to uh, take it apart yesterday. <laughs> but I thought you might like to see it. Absolutely. Because there's everything that's that, so uh, 
it, well, that's, yeah, like. it's a, it's a, that's the idea. It's, and, and of course, this is going to have a plate to okay. stand on. Okay. Um, so you don't have to stand on that. <laughs> Even though on your sled, you that's would be standing. That's how you do stand, yeah. You'd be standing on the skis, but not on this. It's going to have a plate. That, uh, the plate is going to have isolators on it also. So um, you're not going to have a lot of shock with this thing. It's got a very reactive suspension. Uh, a lot of carts out there have bumpers. Yeah. Or really short throw. Uh, coil over shocks. I wanted a very reactive suspension so that you're not getting right. yeah. shock. Yeah. So the other thing, and I hate to admit it, but I'm not getting any younger. And I want to keep my knees and everything in good shape. Yeah. Which is why the suspension and this plate right here is going to have isolators. Nice. I want to I want to eliminate as much pounding as I possibly yeah. can and stay healthy and run dogs longer. Nice. And where you're saying that there's not a big market, currently there's not, but I think this is one of those type of things where once somebody sees a guy out having fun, and like you said, you, you, you bring in the idea of everything's counterbalanced, so if you're, you're getting older and you want to do it more, mm -hmm. this is easy on the knees. You know, like you've thought of the eight different ways to tie it into a different segment, yeah. I think, that once people see this, like I've only got two dogs, but now I know we got like four years to go get us 10 more so we could use one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a big enough market. It's not, Absolutely. I mean, for, for most people, they don't even know about a training car. It's a big enough market, but it's not so big that that's all I'm going to be building. Right. Because I, I, I like to do everything. Absolutely. I don't want to be building one thing. You don't want to use But, uh, you know, it's what I'm using, will be using. Um, this is getting, it's in a couple of weeks, this is getting torture tested. Um, for, for real, what I do with my carts is I take them across plowed fields and everything and I already have a very excited friend who has an ATV who's going to drag me through some terrible stuff <laughs> and we're going to see if we can, can break it. So, there will be video of that. Okay. I was going to say, like, make sure there's all sorts of video yeah, of that. Yeah, that's video gonna be sweet. Of that but the, sure. this thing is going to get pounded. It's going to get pounded hard. And uh, I'm going to see where the weak link or links are, if there are any, address those. And if, if there are weak links, pound it all over again. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then go with it. That's awesome. My design, uh, after trying a lot of designs at other places, uh, this is what I this is what I have always wanted, and I needed a place to do it. So when uh, this building was built, I built this right after uh, this building was, was constructed. Uh, this was the first thing that went in here because you need a welding bench, right? Um, now what makes what makes your design different from a typical welding bench? I don't see many of them in my day, so what makes this unique? The new thing is setup benches. And there's setup benches out there and they're absolutely wonderful. Uh, they're also many, many thousands of dollars and they, they have a whole bunch of little holes on them and on the side. And they're special clamps that slide into them and, and they wedge in place as you tighten down in those holes. You loosen it up, you, you move these um, clamps and adapters around, um, milled tops, and they really are beautiful. The companies that are making them and the people who are buying them, uh, they're very pleased with them. Uh, 
we do a little bit of everything. We do a lot of different processes, and there's there's spatter, and you can you can see on this table in, in certain places that uh, when you're welding, there's there's spatter that comes off as you're welding, and it sticks to your table, and it's uh, it'll pack your table. So to spend seven or eight thousand dollars on a setup table for what we do is couldn't do that and then ruin it, you know. So uh, this is a similar thing. It's got all these cutouts because the clamps go in here, and I can set things right off on here. Uh, hold everything down nice and tight because you end up with warping and stuff sometimes uh, when you're welding. Um, and if spatter gets on this, I don't care. Uh, it grinds right off. The, the table cut all this out. The CNC table cut all this out. So the rest of it is. It, uh, was this just like the first, first? I don't know what I'm trying to say. Did you hit it right on the first shot, or was it a couple of times to get it how you wanted it? No, I've I've built uh, benches before at other shops uh, that I've worked at, and I knew what I wanted. Uh, it just it just didn't happen until now. Uh, other shops you're working with other people also other people want different things uh, and my background of course is heavy equipment so I'm working on heavy equipment and fabricating uh, one or the other or all at the same time and you don't necessarily have the space because you're using the same shop for everything so uh, this this table everything most of the things that you see shop are on wheels and there's a reason for that. Uh, I set up a job around me. I say this is my welding area, this is where I am most of the time, but my welding area can be over there, can be over there, can be way back there. Uh, I'll roll this table right out, usually in the middle, and I'll set up the other equipment around me. And that's how I make time. Uh, instead of walking across the shop way over there right. to do something, walking back over here because this is heavy and stationary. Almost everything is on wheels. I set that job up around me. I do that job and I only have to move a few feet. Absolutely. The next job, depending on what it is, it's set up around that job and things change. But that way too, if you can work on a small scale project today and you don't need all the tables side by side, you know, then you go next week and you have a track where you take it apart and kind of make it make it fit to shop. Right. It makes perfect sense. Yep. By doing that, you're saving everybody else money just because you're working efficiently. Profit margin's really tight with a small place. Right. And um, you've, you've got to be really efficient with your time because when you're, you know what's out there, you know what people are specking mm -hmm. and uh, quoting. Uh, so if, if you've done any of this for any amount of time, you know costs. Mm -hmm. Know what people are doing, and there's some people that will really undercut. Um, and I will only go down so far. If those people want to do go under me, that's fine because it's just losing money. I Absolutely. might as well walk out of the shop and lock the door. You know, I'm losing right. money either way. So um, you have to be really efficient. We quote really tight, and you have to make money inside that quote. So that's that's how I do it. It's time. You gotta. You gotta find time in where there isn't any more. Right. You know, you gotta find a little more time. Absolutely. So that's that's how we do it. Yeah, and like you said, by by 
your experience, I think, also makes that clothing process so much easier because you've, you've done enough things, you've built 50 tables that you know this went wrong in this building, this went wrong, so you know kind of how to filter that in by, by being so, so well-rounded. It's not just like, this, you know, if you only did fabrication and then you didn't think about, wait, I've got to fix the route, take that motor apart to get to it. Yeah. You know, like, so by being able to have that experience, I think, sets you apart from typical guy that doesn't have that full yeah it's it's I've worked for years in a company where um, you you have to if you're going to fabricate a job or you're going to build a specialized piece of equipment um, you've got to you've got to come up with a price tag for them it's got to be accurate because they have to budget that. Right. when they budget that they give you this much money you have no more money. <laughs> you have that much money. Absolutely. So you have to be really good when you're doing that already um, with with your numbers, and that's really helped in the fabrication business. Mm -hmm. And we got the welding table. What else do we got? Let's run down the line. Oh well, my original welding table is this one. This was the one that was in my old shop. That doesn't move because that was a much smaller shop, and um, other things were. So uh, this is this is the table. Uh, this is basically the welding area. These are my three main welders. There's another one over there with a small uh, plasma cutter up on a, a cart. Um, we do a lot of different processes here. Um, we do MIG, stick, uh, TIG. Um, did you teach yourself all those different uh, welding techniques or how, I, how did you pick up the welding skills? I started picking up the welding skills at the body shop when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to college, there was a whole course on welding because heavy equipment, there's always a lot of welding. So they started me out really well. And then I got out of college, went to work for Mac and doing all sorts of stuff, which required a lot of welding. And then at the utility that I worked at now for 33 years, um, tons, tons. Uh, uh, one year I actually went and got certified, um, but uh, the company didn't want to continue paying for that certification. Right. So I just let that drop because it was water pipe certification <laughs> and um, not a lot of what I'm doing right. with, my own, uh, with my own thing but uh, a lot of different processes. Is there a particular style of welding that you personally prefer to do or? Uh, no, not really. The really fun welding, really quick welding is MIG welding. The really fun welding, I always say you could do it in a three-piece suit, is TIG welding. Uh, besides a little bit of smoke, which you can control uh, with a, a suction unit, um, it's very clean. It's really clean, you, you really don't get too dirty gotcha. uh, with that, so it kind of takes the fun out of it. It's it? Uh, <laughs> it's it's really nice. I got to tell you to sit down at a bench with a TIG welder and a whole bunch of parts and just it's a slower process, mm. but uh, you know just weld along, do some really fine welding. Um, that's it's it's uh, in some cases really challenging. Uh, there's there's manifolds that I build where I'm welding twenty five thousandths tubing, um, so. Um, it's it really is a little more challenging, I think, right. than than one would think. <laughs> but because uh, you can't burn through, gotcha. and uh, you got to be careful what happens to the other side as you're welding this side. 
So there's um, there's a bunch of things that you have to do for that, but like back gassing and stuff, running gas and the, through the part as you're welding the outside of the part. I know by us there's almost always a lot of welding jobs. I've, I've got a couple buddies that do it, and is it just is is it something that people kind of went away from for a while? I know that everybody kind of went more college to, than trades. Is is well to me it seems like welding is coming back strong at least where we're at. Is that the same? It thing? is now. Welding is coming back now, and um, there's people who watch this may argue. There's people who say there's a skills gap, and there's other people that say there is not a skills gap, but there's there's a there's a pay issue, mm -hmm. you know. But there really is a skills gap um, because it's it's a dirty job, right? It's really a dirty job, um, and it's hard to interest someone who wants to also be a lawyer, a doctor, um, or whatever uh, to get interested mm -hmm. in. The trades and specifically welding. Mm -hmm. uh, the the pay for welding is not always that great. There's jobs out there that pay well, and there's union jobs in welding that pay well. But uh, a lot of the places are are not yet really paying that well. So um, and and they're long hours, mm -hmm. uh, long days. So it's tough getting young people interested in that when there's a lot of other options out there than there was 30, 40 years ago uh, with technology. And speaking of getting young people into it, I, I know both of your sons aren't anywhere near the uh, fabrication angle of it, uh, but they're also overly creative. How is you, did you as, because I'm presuming you picked up a lot of skills from your generation before you to be able to start everything so young, how did, they, how did you introduce your kids to all of the skills? Well, I had the shop. Uh, Jeremiah was a little bit before when I started doing this here in a shop out back. Uh, but Levi wasn't. And Levi actually worked with me. And I paid him on real jobs. That's uh, the nicest fatherly move I've ever heard of. He would, he would work with me. And uh, in the summertime, because I worked two jobs, in the summertime he would actually um, uh, prep stuff for me during the day. And I would pay him by the hour. And he was really good uh, with a plasma cutter. And he was very, very good with a TIG welder. Uh, and he actually got into uh, welding for me with a, with a TIG welder. Uh, MIG is a lot easier to learn for a lot of people, but Levi just gravitated towards that TIG welding and he did a really nice job with it. So uh, he did get into it and he knows uh, more about it. Gotcha, gotcha. See, I asked that question about three hours too early. <laughs> now I get to be like, please don't get my sand stuck to the wall. Don't take me to the table, please. <laughs> um, but with that, I want to get a little bit more. Um, they're both extremely creative. Is that something that you guys were, were you just overly musical at home, or how did they get gravitate towards the musician angle? Well, I, I taught myself how to play guitar in college when I first started in college. And then when we had kids, I would play them mm -hmm. uh, guitar, uh, putting them to sleep, or, or just... Waking them up. <laughs> yeah, just just being just and 
we're, we're country folk here, we really are. So we sit on the porch, play guitar, the kids would sing with me. And um, uh, JC got J uh, Jeremiah. He's JC when he was here in his early days. Yeah, I, I uh, don't know quite, quite what format, how to address him. You just want to just run through the whole gamut. <laughs> well, it's Jeremiah, Jeremiah Craig, Jeremiah Craig, JC. And now it's Cowboy King Jeremiah. He's, 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 he's the he's cowboy added. dude now, so... Um, when did Jeremiah get his first pair of cowboy boots? Oh, God. Young teen. Young. Young teen. Um, took him over to his favorite place around here and had him fit. Um, and he's he's been a cowboy boot guy ever since. Ever since. He and just, now it's just loves them. Off. Yeah. It's, it's his enthusiasm with cowboy boots is the most amazing thing to me. It's not only does he know a lot about them, but like it genuinely makes him happy, which is amazing. Like, yeah. And then I think that's kind of where a nice little friendship thing between. I, I actually have real shoes on today, but I'm, I'm normally wearing like the vibrant five fingers. So like each of us are used to that that controversial footwear. Like, why are you wearing those? Yeah. Like, what's wrong with that guy? Like, there's a story there. He's got cowboy boots. He's got. Five, I love it. There's a story there. So, you know, like something's going on there. <laughs> Um, and then, like you said, that's your country folk. Is that where the storytelling, being that both of them, I mean, they write their own music, and like, is, is that kind of just a family storyteller well, vibe? Well, uh, I used to sing folk to them all the time. I like folk and I like bluegrass, and there's nothing but stories in right. both of those. So, and some of them are dark, and some of them not so dark, but there's, um, there's a lot of story going on there in, in both of those formats. So, um, that's... That's probably really, and, and they've been hearing it since before they before they, were they remember. <laughs> so uh, that's probably where a lot of that comes from. But uh, they're both uh, really creative guys. Uh, we never we never harnessed them, told them they had to do one thing or the other. Uh, we let them develop, and we didn't let them run wild. We didn't. <laughs> We didn't, we didn't raise them like hippies or anything, <laughs> but um, uh, we let them develop to who they were supposed to be. So, um, and they did. They really did. They're, they're both really unique people. They're, they're awesome people. Absolutely. And, you know, one is 31 now, the other one uh, going to be 29. Uh, so they're, they're, way into adulthood and I'm really proud of them, I'm really proud of the men they, they turned out to be. So it, it makes me feel I did something right. You and did I, a lot, right? I know their mother did something right. Um, we'll give her all the credit and the credit. We have to give her a lot of credit, uh, not only genetically, but um, she's, she's a really good person. And, and I can be, I can be intense. Uh, you can imagine two jobs, dog sled team, and everything. I can be an intense guy, and uh, she handles that just fine. So she's she's a special person. She's probably a lot of the reason we're all the way we are. Right. She's she's a unique person. And does she come out to the shop at all? I know you said that she had one of the boys out working. Does she come out and do some welding or any laser cutting? No, she comes out to see what's going on when she hasn't seen me in a really long time. <laughs> so make sure I'm alive, that type of thing. It's always good to have, have them do the vital check. Yeah. <laughs> just, I usually get the same thing, like, are you coming home today? <laughs> like, yeah, the sun's almost down, I'll be home soon. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, and, and you know, if I'm on a job, uh, 
and it has to be done, especially the farm jobs. She doesn't know when she's, right. she's going to see me. In the old shop, uh, this is the type of person she is. She's, she's absolutely awesome. In the old shop, when I was on a job, especially for a farmer, she would come out if I wasn't welded or, or making a lot of noise, grinding or something, and she would knit. She would get a stool and, and she'd put it where I was close to where I was working, and she would knit and she'd talk to me. That's awesome. just, just to be with me. So, um, but, you know, that's the kind of person she is. Nice. And it explains why you guys, everybody kind of just creates and helps, and makes them know everything kind of comes together and works. Yep, and she's, she's a very creative person herself. She uh, crochets, knits, um, sews. Uh, she is one of the best people cooking that you, you, you could ever imagine. Um, I have to force myself to take her out because her cooking is so good. Nice. So, I mean, I just can't get that out, you know. It, it's almost, you, you go out and you say, yeah, okay. You come home and say, yeah, man, he's cooking. <laughs> What's her go-to dish? Oh, God, she cooks everything. I don't think she has a go-to dish. She and cooks he, everything. And when uh, JC comes back to this side of the country, you gotta have him just do the document. You guys could have the, like the next Homestead cooking show on the Food Network. You know what? She probably could, and she doesn't use cookbooks. Everything's by feel. Everything's by feel. So yeah, that's how I like to cook. Where you're saying like it's the joy to come home. Like I prefer to cook and make the food myself. Where like I'll look at a recipe and then say, all right, well they want this. Let's kind of change it and do my own thing. Kind of use that as the blueprint, but like, all right, let's change this to how I like to eat it, you yep. know? Yep. Which, same too, like I like to go out to eat to get those new ideas and then come back home and be like, all right, I like what they did there with that. And you ask enough questions at the restaurant, you come home like, that's how you do it better. Yep, <laughs> yep. Gonna spice it up a little. Absolutely, you gotta spice it up a little. You gotta throw something spicy or a little gar extra garlic or something like that. Yep. It's, it's mandatory. So, you know, they both have a lot of their, their mother. Uh, Levi's got more of me. He's a, he's a little more intense, like me. Now we got a question uh, for Levi later. Which one of your parents are you more like? See if he matches that up. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremiah is is uh, just chill. He's a chill guy, and uh, definitely takes after his mom. Gotcha. So, well, thanks for taking us down, family. Well, let's. As always, I want to thank the listeners, I want to thank the sponsors, I want to thank my guest, and I'd also like to ask you guys to go ahead and wherever you're listening to this at, maybe subscribe, definitely leave a review, even if you thought it was shit, let everybody know. If you thought it was great, let everybody know. And I look forward to the next episode, and I hope you do too. Talk to you then.